0: Welcome to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast, a show dedicated to Japanese tea, hosted by tea blogger Ricardo Kaiseto. Hello everyone and welcome to podcast episode number 47. Today's guest is Oscar Breckel and he's going to tell us how to taste Japanese tea. Hi Oscar, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Ricardo, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure.
0: Since you're very famous, I'm sure that most listeners know who you are already. But for people that don't, please give us a short introduction to your experience in the world of Japanese tea.
1: Okay, so I was born and raised in Sweden and I moved to Japan about 10 years ago. Uh, I'm one of few foreign as a non-Japanese uh, certified Japanese tea instructors. And uh, usually when, whenever there's not a pandemic going on, I would be traveling around, of course, um, in Japan, but also overseas, mainly to the US and to some European countries doing tea classes, and introducing Japanese tea to foreigners. And I'm also doing a lot of events actually here in Japan. Uh, so basically, I'm kind of um, known for making the Japanese rediscover the beauty or the attraction of Japanese tea. And I also write about Japanese tea and upload pictures of tea plantations that I visit on Instagram, for example, so I do some social media as well. And I've written a few books on the topics. Uh, One of them is in English, or it's actually bilingual, so it can be read both in English and Japanese. And I've got a tea brand on my own that has gone through a rebirth or renewal recently. I think that pretty much summarizes this. That, that would be the short version, I suppose.
0: What's the address of your store? Uh,
1: so uh, you can find it if you search for Senchaism. The easiest way to find it, I guess, if you search for Senchaism on, for example, Instagram, it's a new account, but my store is using the old name of my brand. Uh, so this is my surname. So you can find it on Shopify, breckel.shopify.com, I think. But you can also type senchaism.com and then you can, there is a link there that would lead you to my uh, online store. That'll probably be the easiest way to find me, I guess.
0: Okay, I'll add a link in, in this post. All right, great, thank you. Please tell us how the professional way of tea tasting is done in Japan.
1: Oh yes, I think this might be a little bit confusing for a lot of people, I think, especially people who haven't travel like frequently or many times to Japan. And especially if you haven't met with tea professionals in Japan, uh, you might consider it or find it a little bit confusing and you might not be very familiar with what you're actually doing when you're doing tea evaluation. I think maybe some people imagine that it's a lot about detecting characteristics in tea. And especially if you're looking at like foreign tea blogs, I can only read in Japanese, English, and and Swedish, so I don't know about French bloggers or, uh, for example, Spanish speakers. But my impression is that, for example, when people write about Japanese tea in the West, they would take a sip on a given tea and try to ask elaborately as possible describe the taste and the flavor so they would go on saying oh there's a slightly earthy taste and i can send some like spinach notes whatever Uh, especially in the case of sencha or green tea i think a lot of people would talk about spinach broccoli or or, like vegetable flavors like that so uh, when you're doing tea evaluation in japan uh, you're actually doing something completely different so the main objectives for tea professional in japan is to um distinguish different quality characteristics. And in this case, we're not talking about quality as in good or bad, but mainly kind of properties that the tea has. So for example, what kind of taste that the tea has and the strength or the to to which degree a tea has umami or astringency or bitterness, for example. Then you want to assess whether it's a good tea or not. And there are standards for this in Japan. I'm going to get back to that later. And then, of course, you and this is maybe one of the most important parts, uh, you try to detect any flaws or defects uh, caused by, for example, failure during processing or during cultivation. So it's a lot about finding faults. And actually, if you're a tea wholesaler, you want to stop the tea there. So if you're a Western tea consumer, for example, or actually, even if you're a tea consumer in Japan, you are not very likely to stumble upon a tea that has a lot of flaws and defects because the tea wholesalers in Japan, they kind of sort it out and stop it from entering the market. So most teas out there are actually fairly good quality teas. So um, tea evaluation is in a way, I guess you can say quality checking. Uh, so that's the main objective. But then of course, if you're a tea professional, you are probably, especially during the shincha season or the spring harvest season in April, May, you probably evaluate like hundreds of teas made by hundreds of different tea producers. So if you've been doing this for years and years, you become able to distinguish not only the flaws and defects, but of course you find some positive elements as well. And now we have the characteristics of, for example, the tea cultivar or any peculiar or particular way of making tea or processing tea uh, in a certain region, for example, you'll be able to uh, become to detect them, you become able to detect those kind of things as well. so there there are positive elements as well. But I think anyone who's been to Japan is probably familiar with the fact that the Japanese tend to kind of treat any pupil sort of as a bonsai. It should be grown beautifully, not necessarily big. It shouldn't necessarily stand out, but it has to be you know pruned. Uh, so that it grows in a correct way. And I think T is the same, basically. you We're going to get back to it later, but when you do a T evaluation, you start with 100 points, and for any flaws and defects, you subtract uh, one point or a few points. And then the winner is the T that uh, ends up with the most points. So you start with a maximum amount of points. So you don't add points on the uh, as you go, but you actually subtract points. And that's that's a very Japanese way to go about, I think. But however, like I said, or like I mentioned, there are positive elements here as well. And especially now, because the tea uh, market is changing a lot and consumers and or tea drinkers are kind of demanding different kinds of teas with different kinds of flavors. So I think tea wholesalers and tea professionals are increasingly looking at the positive elements as well. Like, for example, the cultivar flavor or any flavor that is distinct uh, or special to one certain tea growing area. But anyway, if we move on to how you actually do tea evaluation, uh, first of all, you usually divide tea evaluation in Japan into two different ways of evaluating tea. And I think this is probably the same overseas or in the case of black tea or oolong tea, I'm not too familiar with the, how they actually do it, but I think they would probably um, subdivide evaluation in the same way. There is sensory evaluation. So basically you use your senses, your eyes, your taste buds, uh, your nose, et cetera. And then there is a scientific evaluation. In that case, you would use in, uh, different kind of, uh, kinds of instruments to measure how many amino acids, for example, or polyphenols or how much fiber you have in your tea leaves. So what we're gonna talk about today is essentially sensory evaluation. Because that's the way we um, basically assess quality of tea. For example, you can, of course, get a lot of hints by analyzing the different substances or components or compounds in tea in a scientific way, of course. Uh, For example, if there are a lot of amino acids or high amino acid content, that probably hints that. probably means that you have a lot of umami, but we haven't progressed that much yet. So we're not like in the Blade Runner era or anything like that. It's not like robots or uh, machines can distinguish the total experience of uh, sipping on a cup of tea. So uh, we still need tea professionals who can get the whole picture. So uh, let's stick to sensory evaluation today and what it is all about. As I said earlier, the main point is not to say, for example, oh, this is a Shizuoka tea, or this is a um, Kagoshima tea. Of course, the tea professional is usually able to distinguish between different styles, different tea growing regions. But the main objective, like I said, is first of all, to check whether there are any flaws or defects. Uh, another thing that is important here is that, and I think this makes it very different from if you're a tea enthusiast, for example, or a tea blogger, for example, uh, most people tend to write a lot of positive things about tea which i think is a good thing especially if you write on the internet because it stays there and you can be quoted but people tend to write positive things like i think i thought this tea was very good or uh because i sense these early notes whatever or there was like some kind of um, citrusy uh, flavor going on there in the aftertaste that was really good uh, you write those kind of things but uh, and especially when you say something is tasty or like good you make sort of you make a statement that is kind of subjective and T evaluation is not about your preferences or your subjective feelings, but uh, what we're trying to do when we do T evaluation is mainly to assess the quality. And so we're not saying essentially that it, that, that a T is good or bad, but we're trying to assess what properties a certain T has. And for that, we need a language. So we need terms because otherwise we wouldn't be able to communicate with other tea specialists. And in this sense, I think um, it's um, similar to wine or probably to black tea or uh, coffee as well. I think uh, you probably look at different things, but you have terms and you're not trying to, for example, give a certain beverage any amount of points based on the subjective experience, but rather try to evaluate or assess what you actually have in the particular beverage uh, that you're trying out. So I'm going to explain a little bit more about how I actually do this. Uh, but before this, if you think that there's anything that our listeners might find confusing with the first part of what I said, uh, please let me know. Or if you, you have any question for that matter.
0: Yeah, well, I just want to add that what you say is true. Like maybe a, let's say a, a tea blogger that tastes very different teas, like, you know, Chinese teas, Japanese teas, you know, oolongs and pu'er. you know. When, when they taste one and the other, of course, it, it's very different. Like, oh, this this one is very earthy, you know. But in my mm-hmm. experience, since, I, since I'm usually tasting the same kind of teas, it, it's it's very hard to be very elaborate about it because it's hard to explain what the difference are because they're all going to be like, you know, like they have this all Japanese teas feel very fresh. They're all sort of vegetal and maybe marine. So sometimes mm. when people read my, my reviews, they're, they're gonna say he's just saying the same thing every time because <laughs> I'm, I'm doing very similar teas each time. Mm.
1: Yeah, I should probably add here that, I mean, uh, I don't think it's any wrong per se in you know describing teas very elaborately and uh, free. Uh, if you look at T-blogs, for example, or uh, I don't know if people read blogs that much anymore, it could be probably posts on social media, but uh, I think, of course, you want people to read it and it should be to some degree, I guess, entertaining to read. And so it's not only information. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, however, sometimes you stumble upon things that seem crazy to a person that has uh, some degree of experience evaluating japanese tea for example if, if i uh, read i think i think this happened actually a couple of years ago that uh, somebody wrote that this sencha has sort of a, a smoky nuance or sm- smoke smoke uh, smoky notes whatever and uh, when when i read that uh, I was like oh the, if if you have um, if you can detect smoke in a japanese tea that m- means that something went terribly wrong uh, in the tea factory so <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not just the an interesting nuance it's definitely considered to be a big flaw or defect in japan but that said i think that if you if you don't live in japan and i mean even if you live in japan it's actually quite hard i think to get proper training and to get in touch with the wholesalers that are keen on or teaching you the secrets behind tea evaluation if you stay at the same company for many many years they might actually give you some proper training but so if you are not a tea professional you don't I mean I'm I'm gonna say a lot of things today but uh, I don't think there's any need to feel pressure uh, I mean among listeners I think uh, you should approach Japanese tea in uh, any way you see fit but anyway in in any case I'm going to talk today about how Professionals would go about, and I think maybe, just maybe, if you if you're a habitual Japanese tea drinker, you might find some hints here that might be interesting to adapt. Maybe you can try to approach Japanese tea in a new way. Uh, but you know, don't, don't need to always follow the rules, of course. But yeah, that's um, uh, it's a quite different approach.
0: Okay, so how does one go about doing it the professional way?
1: Uh, so, uh, first of all, you um, uh, now we're in the field of sensory evaluation, like I explained before, so we're going to use our senses. You subdivide sensory evaluation in um, two types of evaluation. First of all, you have what is called gaikan in Japanese, uh, which means kind of outward appearance. And this um, outward appearance uh, evaluation can in turn be subdivided in two. So you look at the shape of the tea leaves, and then you also look at the color. And when I say color, I don't only mean the color of the tea leaves, but we also look for, for example, whether the tea has a glossy appearance or not. And in the case of shape, if we go back to that, it's not only the shape of a certain tea leaves, but of course it's the, the size. And also whether the tea has, um, is kind of uniform in size and shape or whether it's kind of spread out, for example, if you have big leaves, uh, a lot of big leaves, and then you have a lot of small leaves, that's basically considered a flaw. So the T, the shape and the size of tea should be as uniform as possible. And then when you look at the color, you look at not only the color, but also the uh, gloss. So that's the outward appearance. And then you have something called Naishitsu, which means kind of inner quality, or that's how it would be translated, I guess, but it's... Um, what can in turn be subdivided into three categories. So you have the liquor, and then you have the aroma or smell of the tea, and then you have the taste. So the first part, the liquor, uh, not as in booze, but uh, the uh, liquor as in the brewed tea, you look at the color of the, um, and the appearance of the liquor. So some people might get confused here and think that maybe this belongs to the first category, the outward appearance, but uh, it's part of the in- inner quality section in Japanese tea evaluation. So you first you look at the color. For example, if uh, the tea uh, that you brewed has sort of a reddish appearance, that's considered a bad thing. That could mean a lot of things, but usually it means that the tea wasn't steamed properly or that there, it was maybe steamed uneven. So some, some of the people still have their oxidation enzymes uh, active when they go through the, the rolling and the kneading process, and then it becomes a dry tea and what happens is that the tea will oxidize slightly and as i believe that probably most of your listeners are familiar with japanese uh, steamed green tea is um, well it's green tea so the oxidation enzymes are deactivated there's no oxidation going on as opposed to for example black tea and oolong tea so any oxidation is considered to be a big flaw so that, that is something that you look for and then it's the aroma and the smell Like I said earlier, if there is any burnt flavor or aroma or like any smoke or something like that, usually the tea sample is uh, rejected, by the way, or uh, lose a lot of point. It's considered to be a big flaw. Uh, On the other hand, if it has a fresh taste, uh, I usually describe Japanese, uh, the taste of Japanese tea, especially uh, popular cultivars like Yabukita kind of smells like, or it has a forest-like Uh, aroma. If it has a fresh forest like aroma that's a plus. Then uh, finally you taste the tea. So this is what you actually do last. So maybe this seems counterintuitive to a person who is not familiar with tea evaluation in Japan. You probably just brew the tea and taste it and start making notes but this is actually the last thing you do uh, in Japan. So first you have the uh, two stages where you do where you check the outward appearance first, the shape and size of the tea leaves, and then the color and the gloss and so on. Uh, third stage is um, for the inner quality, the liquor. You check the liquor, the color of the liquor, and then you go on to the aroma and smell. And then finally, you taste the tea. Oh, and I should say, say this. Uh, the way you um, assess the aroma of Japanese tea is that you you actually have tea leaves. Um, in the case of the unrefined tea or aracha, you have three grams of uh, tea leaves uh, you put that in a white small porcelain uh, b- uh, bowl and then you pour, uh, pour boiling hot water on top uh, or into the bowl and um, obviously this is really hot so the way you pick up the tea leaves is that you use uh, I think it's called a net spoon in English probably uh, it's what you use when you um, try to get tofu for example out of a, a nave or a hot pot in in Japan. Uh, but there's an it's a net spoon, so you don't get any liquor, but you only get the tea leaves, and then you smell the tea leaves. That's how we do. That's how we check the aroma and smell. And finally, then after that stage, you taste the tea. Here, you would just use um, a normal tablespoon uh, to uh, take a few sips of the tea. So one big
0: difference is in the professional way, you would use boiling water, even if the consumer isn't gonna use boiling water.
1: Yes, I think that's um, one of the most important points here. Uh, you use boiling hot water, and you do that for a lot of reasons. Well, first of all, uh, remember that we're not trying to find out whether the tea is tasty or not. We're not trying to make a subjective judgment on the tea. We're mainly trying to assess the quality of the tea or trying to uh, distinguish uh, which kind of what, what kind of properties the tea has. So. the easiest way to do that is actually to pour boiling hot water, especially when it comes to flaws and defects, because if you use hot boiling water, you can more easily detect uh, excess, well, bitterness, for example, astringency. And also all the aromas come, uh, they come out a lot more uh, easily when you use boiling hot water. So uh, that's part of the logic. And actually one more thing is, and this might be, maybe well perhaps my recommendation for people who want to try maybe even if they don't do it in a professional way but if you want to compare teas the key to compare teas is to um, apply the same conditions let's say you have two samples of tea if you really want to compare the two teas you need to brew them exactly the same way so you have the same amount of tea leaves the same temperature of the water and you steep the tea for for uh, the same uh, amount of time So if you were to do things differently, let's say you use a different teapot for one tea and compare your first tea or another sample, or if you brew one tea in, let's say, 70 degrees Celsius, we use Celsius here in Japan, like most of the other countries, but uh, and you steep another tea in, let's say, 80 degrees Celsius, that makes the conditions different. So the latter, the second sample will actually have more or it's more likely to have a lot of bitterness because you brewed it in uh, hotter water. So you need to adjust the conditions because otherwise you wouldn't be able to make a fair comparison in between the teas. And when it comes to the usage of teapots, for example, uh, and especially if you use a yuzamashi, the hot water coolers that we use in Japan when we brew tea or steep tea in the standard way, you will inevitably end up with a change in, um, or a slight difference in conditions. So that's actually one of the reasons for using hot water, not only to detect the flaws and uh, because you get a lot of bitterness uh, and astringency out, uh, and also you get any any bad smell or any like aroma that is not supposed to be there. That's of course easier if you use boiling hot water, but that's not the only reason. One of the reasons is that using boiling hot water is almost, I would say, the only way to adjust the conditions. So you get exactly the same uh, or you try the teas under exactly the same conditions. So that's the point. So if, if you want to apply something similar uh, at home, uh, let's say you're not a tea professional, but you want to maybe compare different teas. Even if you do this with a teapot, try to adjust the conditions so that you have a similar a condition as possible whenever you try different teas so that you don't end up brewing one tea in colder water or hotter water than the other, but try to adjust your way of trying out the different teas or the different samples so that you actually try them out in the same way. That's, I think, the most important lesson to learn about tea evaluation.
0: I see. And what what would you say to people who are, you you know, they they want to know how a a tea tastes like as as they would drink it, uh, like with the lower temperature water? is it easy to tell the difference that way, or or you would suggest starting out with boiling water?
1: Oh, I guess I, I've been in the tea industry now for a couple of years, and I would always start with, the, I wouldn't start with boiling water, I would start, you know, looking at the tea leaves, like I explained earlier, you start with the, because that, that gives away a, a lot of hints, for example, if you have a lot of Tea dust, for example, the tea is likely to be bitter, for example, and if you have um, a lot of large leaves, the leaves are pro- are very likely to contain a lot of fiber, which means that it's probably not a very umami-rich tea. It's probably more like uh, a weak tea, which will probably result in, in um, which will probably result in um, tea with quite pale color, for example. So actually, if you look just by looking at the leaves, you. Can get a lot of information but uh, then again yeah if you, if you don't have experience i think it's just going to be confusing if you usually what you do is you use a uh, quite small uh, white porcelain boil uh, bowl that and the reason that it's white is that you can you know see the tea leaves unfold and you, you can easily spot any changes in color uh, of the liquor uh, but i think it's probably very confusing for a beginner or for someone that you don't need to be a beginner when it comes to Japanese tea, uh, but maybe if if you're a person who uh, doesn't have any professional experience in the field, I think you can do perfectly fine with uh, comparing by brewing in teapots, but I would recommend to, as I said earlier, to um, adjust the conditions. So brew the different teas, or the different samples, especially if they're the same kind of tea. Uh, if you're comparing gyokuro and sencha, obviously you can you can and should uh, brew it in a different way. But uh, if you're comparing two different senchas or uh, two different uh, fukamushi or long steam sencha, you w- w- as long as you're in the same genre, if, as long as you have a couple of samples that are in the same that belong to the same genre, you should try to adjust the conditions so you brew it as um, similarly as possible. That's, uh, I guess, my, my advice to <laughs> anyone who want to try this out and compare different teas.
0: And what, what makes one become better at, at comparing teas? Just uh, practice?
1: I think so. Just practice and experience, really. Uh, like I said, if you, whenever you do it the first time, it's very confusing. And uh, especially if you don't know what you're looking for, I, I've been very lucky, I guess, because um, I had the opportunity to uh, spend a year at the, the Tea Research Center in Shizuoka as uh, as a trainee. And <clears throat> what you're doing there, basically, is you try different teas all the time, uh, made from different cultivars, and you would adjust the processing method as well. So you start learning what why the tea uh, tastes uh, different. and. I think, yeah, it's basically just experience. And to say a few positive things here, like uh, I think one thing that strikes a beginner or someone who enters the field is that there are a lot of negative terms. So tea evaluation in Japan, uh, when it started out in, in the Meiji era, so it's about, uh, which started in 1868, uh, Japan was exporting a lot of teas, mainly to the U.S. and to Canada at the time, and the whole tea valuation thing kind of evolved as a way of making the tea better or even out the quality as well, because there was there was a real, uh, really huge difference in quality between different tea producers and different regions, and they needed to standardize it more and to get rid of all the flaws and also to make sure that there weren't any additives in tea and so on. So that's kind of how it pro- uh, progressed and perhaps that's why we do have this um, huge set of negative terms. You're trying to find flaws and defects to make sure that th- the tea is safe, first and foremost safe for drinking and also that it's uh, the quality will not deteriorate over time so that it's, a proper, uh, or that it's properly made so it will serve as a good product so that was kind of the main objective but from my experience after having done this for a couple of years and also when i talk to tea wholesalers or people in the industry uh, i think that they actually discover a lot of um, interesting things as well for example you're you always pour boiling hot water so it's of course quite bitter and quite astringent as well. So we're not trying to make a good cup of tea whenever we do tea evaluation. But interestingly, I think that really, really good teas actually taste quite good, even if they're overly bitter. So uh, you can make those kind of discoveries. And also when you do cultivars, that's um, that's extremely fun, actually, I have to say. I have one of my best experiences or uh, best memories from tea evaluation is, um, I think it was three years ago, maybe, or maybe four years ago, uh, I was in Shizuoka, at this tea wholesaler in the evaluation room. And what we did was, um, it's one of my favorite cultivars. And I I assume that you're very familiar with it too, but there's a cultivar of the tea plant in Japan called Koshin, which has kind of herbal notes and a very sweet flavor, kind of floral notes as well. Kind of fruity actually. And there there are no additives in there, but it's um, very fruity for being a green tea. And it's one of my favorite cultivars, but we tried, I think it was like 12 different samples of caution. So just the same cultivar. You know, we used the evaluation bowls and we poured boiling hot water into the bowls. And, you know, it just struck me that the whole room just, you know, with all the vapors, it just smelled like someone was making an an apple pie or something (laughs) in (laughs) the room next door. It was, you know, all the cinnamon-like and fruity notes just got mixed up in the air or like in inside the room. And that's one of my best experiences. Actually, Uh, you wouldn't get the same experience if you were just brewing, let's say one sample with a teapot, but we were using boiling hot water and we had a lot of samples. I think maybe actually we had more than 12 samples, but you know, the whole room just smelled like caution just by uh, brewing tea. So it's, I mean, it's not a tea factory. It's um, it's an evaluation room. That was one of my uh, most memorable experiences. Well, so far, at least. And so first of all, when you try this, you are maybe very confused. And Sencha, for example, if we just stick to one uh, genre of Japanese tea, maybe most of them appear very similar. You have this kind of fresh forest like aroma. And I mean, you can maybe sense that they're different in some way or another, but it's hard to express in words. But then, as you progress and as you try different kinds of teas from different regions, especially you have them if you get to have them next to each other, you detect differences and you kind of you look for flaws and defects because you're supposed to. But uh, you start to look beyond that and you sense kind of the characteristics uh, from the cultivar or certain tea grower, and then you know, it's just things are starting to go on, starting to go on inside your mind. It's like, oh yeah, this particular tea has an interesting cinnamon-like aftertaste. So I should probably brew it in this way maybe, or I should probably use quite hot water, less tea leaves. You start to fantasize or imagine how you can actually brew this tea. So tea evaluation is quality checking, but even professionals look beyond that. Try to think about, what to do on the next stage, which is actually brewing tea. So any tea professional would start with a quality check or tea evaluation and do it in a professional way, but you would always brew the tea in a teapot afterwards. That's kind of your second opinion or like your way of returning to reality because there is a subjective element in tea and tea is something that we brew. So the quality evaluation can only tell you so much.
0: Okay, very well. And how about now that people are getting interested in, in different single cultivars? teas, that, that's where the subjective part comes again, right? Because the standard is usually for Yabukita, as far as you understand it.
1: I think so, yeah. And, uh, however, it's, uh, it's changing. I think uh, when I moved to Japan in 2013, and I had been traveling to Japan a couple of times, oh, oh, I spent a year as an exchange student, uh, a few years earlier, but when I came to Japan the first time, and even when I moved here in 2013, it was still a rare thing to see single cultivar teas in tea shops and or places where they sell tea. And now it's getting more common. And sometimes you can even actually spot single cultivar tea in supermarkets. I have to say, though, that supermarket tea uh, tend to disappoint you. You don't usually get uh, all the characteristics from tea cultivars out there, even if it is single cultivar. But uh, never mind, I think uh, it shows that there's actually a trend, or maybe not just a trend. I think it's uh, more like a movement or a sign that the tea market is changing. Uh, I think especially new tea drinkers, as in young Japanese people, they are used to having different kinds of fruit, different kinds of tea, coffee, whatever. And when they get into Japanese tea, if they do, they would like to try different regions first, maybe. So you try like for example, Uji and then Shizuoka and then sub regions of Shizuoka, like Kawane and Honyama and so on. And as you progress, you start thinking like, oh, aren't there like cultivars? Like, because you, know, you find the same phenomenon in, well, I guess wine, coffee, any other beverages. Uh, and food, of course, and well, vegetables, fruit, for that matter. So I think it's a natural way of approaching tea for for the younger generation. And when I say younger generation, I guess uh, anyone who's roughly below 40, 45, or something. I think, uh, like you said, the, yab- the yabukita flavor is the standard in Japan still. And I think that any person, especially among tea specialists, and if you're above 50 in Japan, uh, yabukita is like the the way the japan the japanese tea is supposed to taste and smell like so you would almost consider any other tea cultivar flavor uh, or any tea cultivar other tea cultivar characteristic for example caution, the one i mentioned earlier that's that um, has kind of like strong herbal notes they would almost consider that a flaw because it stands out too much. They're not curious about different uh, characteristics or different uh, types of Japanese tea in that sense. They're more conservative and for them tea is about blending. So there's a generation gap here, I think definitely. But I think that the younger generation, they're more curious about different kinds of teas. So we certainly get what you said, the subjective element here. Some people, for example, like myself, I like Koshin a lot, and especially appreciate the aftertaste. It stays a lot longer than, for example, Yabukita, but maybe other people prefer more typical classic green tea cultivars, like, for example, Yabukita, or maybe Okumidori, for example, that has, or Sayamakaori, cultivars that have um, this more, like, typical vegetal flavor that is uh, probably characteristic of Japanese tea but there are a lot to choose from today so I think uh, it's I'd say it's happy days actually for consumers or for anyone who's uh, curious about Japanese tea.
0: Okay we're running out of time but can you quickly talk about your your store and and why you decided to sell single cultivar teas?
1: Oh uh, I'd love to and I think actually maybe we uh That would require uh, an episode of its own, but the short version is that, I mean, there are a lot of interesting and excellent Japanese teas out there, but uh, what I'm focusing on is mainly refined orthodox or classic Sencha. So Sencha that has been steamed to a minimum to preserve the um, the characteristic aromas of the different cultivars and so on. So uh, all the teas have their uh, characteristic or their unique taste. Uh, like I, I mentioned caution earlier, but uh, there are other teas as well. For example, one of my teas called the First, uh, which has actually has Indian DNA, so it's kind of a mix of the Assamica uh, tea plant and the Chinese tea plant uh, that has a flowery aroma, for example. But they're all different anyway, so they're, and they're all unique. But I wanted to find those teas and to make them available, not only for Japanese people, but also for an international audience as well, or um, tea drinkers, uh, tea fans outside of Japan. So that has been sort of my quest. Uh, Most of the teas I have are only produced um, in uh, small quantities. So it could be like 40 kilos or so per year and they're all refined. And I think you probably made, uh, you must have made an episode about tea refining at some point, I guess, or you might've talked about it, the difference between aracha and, uh, or unrefined tea and refined tea. If you haven't, then we should definitely do that. <laughs> but anyway, all my teas are refined uh, teas, so they're not aracha. Uh, aracha tends—they uh, tend to have kind of a raw flavor, so you don't really get all the characteristics from the uh, the cultivar out. Plus, it's not good for storing over a long period. Uh, so it's refined tea and single cultivar and essentially single estate. Uh, only one of my teas are a single origin, so that it's an area. But uh, all the other uh, I have. 12 teas so far in my uh, lineup, and um, uh, 11 of them are single estate, single cultivar teas. So that's what I'm focusing on.
0: Okay, Oscar. So thank you very much for sharing your knowledge with us. And I hope to meet thank you, you in a future podcast episode.
1: Yeah, I hope so too. And hope to meet you in in reality as well as at some point when all this is over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure, that would be great. Okay, all, right. So thank thank you you. Much, all right. Thank you very much, Ricardo.
1: Goodbye. Right. Thank you. Goodbye.
0: Thank you for listening to my Japanese green tea podcast. Join us again next time.